This podcast is a production of WCWP, LIU Post Public Radio. Check out our lineup of original programs. Listen live or support by visiting WCWP.org. This is Review and Preview on WCWPSports.org. Good evening and welcome to Review and Preview. I am your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Mark Sanger on the board, Kyle Russo, and we have a special guest here tonight, the Nassau County Legislator, Josh Lafazan. Josh, pleasure to have you here. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, guys. This is a real pleasure. Now, Josh, before we dive into you here and the rest of our show, we'd like to remind you folks at home that you can tune into us tonight on WCWPSports.org. You can call in with your questions, thoughts, or comments starting from 5.30 onward at 516-299-2030. That is our call-in number, and we are podcasting our show. You can look us up on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Pinecast, all that fun stuff. And we are on Facebook Live. We're on my account tonight. No Tommy the Mac McNamara here. But we do have Josh. Josh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. So, again, uh, you know, many people know my story started when I was 18 years old. I decided to seek a seat on the uh, Syosset School Board of Education, was successfully elected and ran for re-election in 2015. And I decided to run for Nassau County Legislature, which is like the city council of Nassau. And I, uh, I'm elected in the 18th district, which is northeast Nassau County. So we're actually in my district as we speak. So it's a real treat to be here. And I serve about 75,000 residents. Uh, and and I, I love what I do. I love using my voice to represent the voices of others. And uh, it's a real privilege to be able to serve my neighbors. And uh, I actually gra- I graduated just a few months ago. I started my career at Nassau Community College. And I actually graduated from Cornell University afterwards with a bachelor's. And I just finished up with a master's at Harvard. So I like to tell my story of going from Nassau Community College to Harvard as a way to tell everyone that it's not where you start, but it's where you finish. So that's a pretty brief, uh, brief background of me. And uh, it did, leads me to here this evening. Wow, very empowering words there, Josh. Um, as you got your master's at Harvard, correct? Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you were the youngest elected official ever in the state of New York. Yeah, well, you know, you know, it's funny. Tom DiNapoli is the state comptroller, and he's my longtime mentor. So Tom's not listening, so I can say this. He'll, he'll debate with you. But, uh, yes, I was elected at 18 in my, 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 my senior year. And um, additionally, I actually became uh, the youngest legislator in the history of Nassau County at age 23 this past November. So I'm no stranger uh, to take you – know, you know, I tell young people all the time, you know, if they're not going to give you a seat at the table, then just pull up a chair. And I'm no stranger to living by those words. And I think that young people, millennials, were the largest, most educated, and most diverse generation in the history of this nation. But we're the most underrepresented demographic in politics today. And I decided that that wasn't okay with me, so I decided to run. And the cool part is I have a staff who represents the diversity and, and, and the enthusiasm of young people today. I'm here with my director of uh, constituent services, Adam Hornbuckle, who's actually a senior here at LIU yeah. and is able to you know, use his talents both in, in the office and as a student in the classroom. And uh, you know, I, I, I think it's really special what we're doing is giving young people not just a voice but a real way to make an impact. Adam and I actually have known each other for a year or two now, so thank you to Adam Hornbuckle for bringing you in today, Josh. Now. What brings you here to WCWP, learning more about LIU Post Sports or an urge to get on the air and talk about professional sports? No, you know what? To me, I, I made a promise, and back when I ran for school board, I made this promise that I would do everything in my power and everything I could to support organizations run by young people. 
I think it's important as at 24, uh, not only can I empathize with being young and trying to make it in an industry dominated by adults, but I thought it's important to me to give my time to empower other young people. So that's why I'm here. Additionally, LIU is in my district, right? So you have the Global Institute started by former Congressman Steve Israel, who's one of my longtime mentors, and I'm actually going to his book launch right after we get off the air. So he's gotten me more involved at LIU, and uh, I want to be as involved as I can because it's a really special place and things are happening here. We're happy to have you here. And um, Josh, now at Harvard, at mm-hmm. Cornell, now you're a big college basketball guy, I yes, hear. Yes, sir. And Rumor's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Went to a couple of Ivy League schools, that is, in Cornell for your undergrad Mm -hmm. and Harvard for your graduate studies. Now, I'm sure you've watched the NCAA tournament this year. And, you know, there's a big theme on the one and done for a lot of these schools. Mm -hmm. Um, Not not really popular in Ivy League schools that you attended, but, Mm -hmm. you know, schools like Duke. Like, what do you think of guys like Marvin Bagley, Wendell Carter coming out? Sure. So, you know, it's incredibly difficult for me to tell, a, you know, a, a young person like Marvin Bagley with the, the, the once-in-a-generation talent that he has or a guy like DeAndre Ayton to, you know, to stay in school. Of course, it's difficult. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you know, I speak to my father, who was a St. John's alum and who watched the Big East in its prime when you had, you know, guy, you know guys developing over a couple of years. And to me, I see a trend in the NBA where guys are coming in and they're not yet ready to play at that elite level. And, of course, you know, you, you know, what I like, and, and, and I think the compromise is what Steve Kerr said a couple of uh, couple of weeks ago. He said, if guys enter for the NBA draft and they're not drafted, why not let them return to the, to college? Because again, you know, you know, you know, it's 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 again difficult for me to sit here and I'm not in the financial situation, I'm not in the personal situation of somebody who is applying to play professional basketball who's worked to the pinnacle of their entire life. But if they apply for the draft and aren't and aren't drafted, why not let them mature for a couple more years? I think that's an interesting compromise that's not getting enough play in today's media. Now, um, I hear from Adam, you played mm-hmm. high school basketball like myself, mm-hmm. right? And you know, watching that college level. A lot of those guys coming out early. Do you think there should be maybe a rule or something, uh, maybe at least two years or maybe even do all four? You know what's funny is is that so I uh, I I always say those who can't play ref so I'm I'm, I'm you know I ref to this day and uh, <laughs> you know I, I I referee junior varsity and varsity basketball and I love refing rec basketball um, and and I'll digress for a sec because what I see as a trend in rec basketball is really disturbing. Now when Stephen Curry shoots a shot from half court, believe it or not, most likely it's going to go in, right? But you I you know I, I ref kids and True and you know the majority of shots. That, are, that I'm seeing are, are three-pointers that are off-balance or that are fadeaways. And getting back to the fundamentals of, you know, I played rec basketball. We weren't allowed to take a shot outside of the paint until we were 13 because yeah. that's the way you played basketball. You right. take high-percentage shots. And I see that as, you know, look, you know, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson changed the game, and they got two rings. So, you know, I, you know, you know they, they, they can laugh at the end of the day, right. but I think we need to get back to teaching young people fundamentals. Back to your question about, about young people. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure what the answer is. Um, you, you know, there, there's a debate whether, you know, kids should be 21 to come out. Um, you know, we have, uh, we, uh, we have some people going to, the, you know, the G League now who are foregoing college. Um, I think, uh, you, know, you know, of course I'm a, pro- a proponent that, you know, in 2018, you know, unless you're going into a trade school, I think a bachelor's degree is essential. So I'd love to see more of our collegiate athletes. You know, you see those commercials, you know, majority of us go pro in something other than sports. Of course, I'd love to see these professional athletes staying for four years. But, you know, you know, I don't know what, this, what the solution is. But something has to happen because I think the quality of college basketball, you know, you know is, is, is such a treat. And to see these young guys 
And, you know, you've often heard the guys in college play a lot harder defense than the NBA. Yeah, that's you know, right. <laughs> you see the guys in college who are playing for their school and, yeah, and, and they, sure they play with such tenacity <laughs> that it's, 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 you know, selfishly it's a real treat to watch. But to have these guys mature in college, it'll also make a better economic product for the NBA where owners won't have to pay money for guys to sit on the bench and develop. Right. Yeah. You talk about guys like Trey Burke who came up from the right. G League. You know, Johnny Manziel actually after he, you know, the NFL tryout failed. He went back to A and M, was enrolled in classes and stuff. Right. Now you and I were only about a year or two apart in age, but mm-hmm. we've seen this develop. We've seen these storylines right. transpire, where a lot of these kids come out. And speaking of kids, inspiring stories. Now, in terms of the Ivy League, you're used to, you know, I know I don't think you attended Harvard in 2015, but um, how Harvard won. In yes. the round the 64 game, they mm-hmm. made the round the 32 a couple of years in a row. Mm-hmm. Talk about Loyola Chicago a little bit. A yeah. small Jesuit school making the Final Four and their run well, this year. Let me tell you something. There, There's an incredible phenomenon, and it, it harkens back to the first person who broke the five-minute mile. Right, The five-minute mile was this feat that was impossible to break, and once it was broken, people started breaking it with ease. Right. Because there's a human phenomenon that when we see somebody do something, it gives us confidence. And the sports analogy I make was, of course, we saw the first, uh, you know, one of the first women in, in, in decades to win the uh, New York City Marathon. And, of course, we see, um, a, you know, a, a, a woman win the Boston Marathon just a couple of days ago. That's right. And and so what, what, we're, what we're seeing now is we're seeing you know, young people who... You know, like a Trey Burke, who are going to the G League, and the G League is not a a, a punishment or it's not a sentence to you know to, to obscurity. It's a, it's a it's a learning mechanism. Right. So you know, and and look at you know the Nets, and and I was I was you know frustrating, and I was I was I was venting before about how you know this is another year that the Nets don't have a pick, but look what they've been able to do without their picks because they've developed that form system. Right. You know, so I so I think that the more young players that come to the G League and develop and have the confidence to say this is not a demotion or this is not a demerit but this is actually an opportunity, I think we'll start to see more guys come up and they'll be hungrier and they'll be readier for it. Now, Kyle and I, we actually spoke about the tournament this year and a lot of sure. surprise teams and under-the-radar teams, you know, a lot of those teams that de- develop four-year players. Mm-hmm. Now, Harvard, the school that you went to, mm-hmm. and I actually looked this up last night, although they did lose to Pennsylvania in the Ivy League mm-hmm. championship game, they were 12-2 and two in the conference, yeah. and their top five scorers were all sophomores this year. That's what it was. You hit the nail on the head, and, and that is a sore subject for me. My brother Justin is a junior at Penn. So uh, he was actually, <laughs> what's, what's funny is they, they watched the game from Hong Kong. He's studying abroad with his buddies over there. Wow. And I was screaming at the television because I thought we had that game. And again, you know, look, I'm not, I'm not on the planning committee that decides that we're going to play the Ivy League tournament at the Palestra, but tell me if we don't play that over in Cambridge so we don't win that game. It's tough. they got a crazy crowd, and it's home court advantage, and uh, my friend Randy Marshall, who, who writes for Newsday, is going to yell at me, but you know that, that adds to something. You have the home court right. advantage there. Uh, this is a great team, and what people aren't talking about is the exceptional success they achieved this season. So we have Chris Lewis, all Ivy League player, sophomore. Right. we got Seth Towns, Ivy League player of the year. Bryce Aiken, who had a phenomenal freshman year, was injured, never got back to his full self. This guy, I think, can go pro as our point guard. And Tommy Amaker is building a program where there's turnover of such great players where I think we're going to be back and we're going to figure out a way to win this thing. Right. Get us to the tournament. That's the hardest part is get us, get us out of the Final Four. Yeah. Get us to the tournament. We'll do some damage. And Harvard has done that in the past for sure. Right. Uh, making the NCAA tournament four straight years, 2012 to 2015. Uh, this year's NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on Vill on Villanova mm-hmm. and the run that they had? 
sure. this season. I thought they were the most complete team in college basketball. And I'm so happy for Jay Wright. Obviously, I know your listeners know, but I tell people at, at nauseum, this guy started down the road at Hofstra. And mm-hmm. what a success story to have, you know, you know one, one of our own make it. Um, you know, I love watching ball with good guard play. Obviously, Jalen Brunson is, is phenomenal. And the way they played as a team, I thought was really tremendous. And, and I like watching players who, who really play for each other. And it was obvious on that team that even though you had a superstar like Jalen Brunson, he wasn't dropping 50 a night. That guy was getting his teammates involved. Dante Vincenzo coming off the bench and scoring 30. In the, in the Hear about that tweet? I, uh, <laughs> yeah, yes, I, yes, I did. And I, I, that, that, I think he was 11 years old. when he Right, Kyle? He yeah, was 11 like years old yeah. when he sent that tweet. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's, it's remarkable. But you know what? The guy, the guy followed his dreams. But... They, they, they played as it's a, that red hair. That's probably that, my, my friend Jake Asman, who's a sports broadcaster, he'd agree with you for sure. It's, it's the red hair. Um, it's it's the, the college teams that develop and how Jay Wright is available is, is, is able to put players together, pieces right. to a puzzle. It, it, it was it was masterful. And of course, selfishly, I was hoping for a little better of a championship game. But it was almost like watching poetry in motion, watching Brunson run the floor like like the general he was. Now, Josh, mm-hmm. in terms of the NBA, okay. Um, I got to talk to you and Kyle here. I'll start with Kyle first. Awful news: passing away yes. of Greg Popovich's wife, Erin, last night. What are your thoughts on this tragedy, it, Kyle? Absolutely, it's a, it's a terrible, terrible event. Uh, listening to the uh, news this morning, hearing that she had actually been ill for a very long time, and that she was actually getting better, according to uh, Danny Green's comments. But here's a take: Could this be Popovich's last season as an NBA coach? You know. Josh, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but that thought's lingered in my mind as well. You know, Duncan's gone, Ginobili and, and Parker, Parker right behind right. them. You know what's funny is that you, you bring that up, and something I, I spoke to my little brother about was watching some of these great coaches that we don't know how much longer they'll be here, the Sabins, the Belichicks, yeah. right, the Popoviches. We're in a, a golden era of coaching where I'll be taking my kids to the Hall of Fame and saying I watch these guys in the championships, so... I, I don't know the answer to it, but uh, it's 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 sad to think that that it's it's the ending of an era for so many legends. But I'm just making sure to live in the moment of watching how special these guys are. Yep. Now, Josh, talking about the Knicks, um, are are you, are you a Knicks fan? You know what's funny is that I I tell people all the time I'll I'll I stick with the team through thick and thin. Um, my patience is not endless, and I'm not sure how much longer. You know, you can you can you can you can suffer year after year. I tell people, I say, I, I say I'm a hurting Knicks fan. It's right. hard not to root for a team with the fan base that's so resilient that we are, right? Because we'll stick with this team. Um, but you know, with the news that Kristaps Porzingis may not be back for the entire season, you know, I you know with you know we were speaking before where you know you know of course we we we'd love to you know have a miracle and then pull a number one pick and draft a Bagley or draft an Aiton, but most likely with our luck we'll get a, you know an eleven or a twelve. Right. Um, I don't I don't know where this team goes, but we need a head coach. And and it's it's funny I was talking to Adam before. Uh, I'd love Mark Jackson in that role, and I speak about the class of Mark Jackson broadcasting the Warriors' first final win after he was just fired as the coach where he put so many of those players in place. And when he said, and I quote, I have the best backcourt in history, call my bluff. And we all called his bluff. And then they went out and they won a championship with these and won another one. I mean, this, this, is, this, is, this is a guy who I think deserves another shot. He does. And he kind of put Golden State back on the map. Yeah. After all those losing seasons. A mm-hmm. um, couple of games last night. Donovan Mitchell. Ugh, fantastic. More po- his first two career playoff games has more points than Michael Jordan. Yeah. Had in his first two, mm-hmm. 
I mean, the controversy between him and Ben Simmons for Rookie of the Year looming, sure. do you think it depends on who does better in their playoff series? You know, it's funny. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd make it a co-Rookie of the Year, and, and I'd, I'd, I'd call it a day. Because how can you decide qualitatively who's more important to their team than, than two guys who have lifted up entire cities out of nowhere? Right? I mean, Philadelphia mm-hmm. may win this thing. And, and, you know, it's, I, I, I'd, I'd make it co-rookie of the year. Do I think they'll do that? I don't. That's that, if, I, if I had a vote and if they bothered to ask me, that's what I'd make it. We have a Heat fan in the room, Kyle Russo here, a right. fan of the Miami <laughs> Heat. What do you, I mean, you've seen Ben Simmons play against your team now for two games. What are your thoughts on his impact um, and versatility with the Sixers? He has something that's very rare, and that's court vision. He is absolutely dominant, and he fakes his defenders out completely. And once he develops a jump shot, he, he will be one of the top-rated players in the league. And his game, his ability to drive the lane, his ability to pass, uh, his strength, too. At such a young age, people are comparing his strength to LeBron James' strength, the way he drives the lane and makes all these ridiculous shots. And back to the Rookie of the Year conversation. Ben Simmons is an excellent player, but my Rookie of the Year is Donovan Mitchell. Right. And just because of the fact that, like Donovan Mitchell has been praising himself, saying, well, you know, Ben Simmons sat under this team basically for a year. Sat underneath some rookie, uh, some pros, Simmons some veterans. technically is not a rookie. He's yeah. technically not. I mean, he's exactly. in his first full season, yeah. but, you know. And, you know, sitting under professionals in everything and learning the game more, the NBA level of it. I mean, Donovan Mitchell was put into this team. Before the season started, I thought Utah was going to be this team, one of these teams that were terrible. I mean, you lose your star for the past six, seven years of Gordon Hayward. You know, Rudy Gobert, what is he going to do? He's a defender. He's not really a scorer. And for Donovan Mitchell to be in the playoffs and win and put 30 points up against Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, Russell Westbrook, and Steve Adams is incredible. Now, Josh, just a couple minutes left before you have to go. Mm-hmm. Um, anything you wanted to talk about on these NBA playoffs or anything right now? Sure. Well, first of all, I mean, playoff Rondo, um, oh. it's real. And, and I was a skeptic that somebody could completely transform just, just, just arbitrarily from one day to the next, but he has. Right. And I think, I mean, watching the dominance of Anthony Davis last night, uh, and I and I love Dame Dame Lillard. I think he's fantastic. Yeah. C.J. McCollum, watching Rondo and 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 Davis shut them out at home. Um, they're a scary team, and without you know without Boogie Cousins, they're 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 a scary team for sure. To me, what I, what I I most surprised about, I was a skeptic of the Rockets because I'm a, I'm a consistent skeptic of Mike D'Antoni's system. Right, but. Chris Paul on the floor with James Harden is, seems to be an unbeatable combination. So what I'm excited about is that Western Conference final, I think, is the real event. And I'm sorry to the Toronto fans and I'm sorry yeah. to the Heat fans, but I think that is the real event that yeah. we're going to see our, yeah, right. our, our, our victor crowned. And can they continue the success? And will, is James Harden human? Right. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, that's a fair enough yeah. question from a basketball perspective. And what's scary about Houston, they're doing this without – Bob Mute, who uh, dislocated his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was the second-to-last game in the regular season against the Lakers. And then Ryan Anderson, who's missed the first couple games. And right. he's a sharpshooter in the lineup. It's, and the emergence of Clint Capella. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about how young and this team is. And add veterans like P.J. Tucker and Trevor Ariza. Yeah. It's an incredible team that... I don't know if anybody can stop it with Curry, but I don't even know if Golden State can stop it. That's that. that that's that's what we'll say. And, and again, I asked if James Harden was human. You know, is is Kevin Durant human? Yeah. You know, the answer's been no for for a long time. So watching a Harden Durant reunion in the Western Conference Finals, I'm getting the popcorn ready. 
Yeah. Josh, any final thoughts? Final thoughts. Um, I thank you so much for what you're doing and for showing young people that you're you're not too young to have a voice in any industry. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to continue to watch your show, and uh, I'll be watching the NBA Finals with a close eye. Well, Josh, thank you very much. We hope to have you back on sure. the show again for sure. someday. We, every Thursday night, 5 to 7, always welcome to call in. Uh, you have our call number on those business cards mm-hmm. I just gave you. Uh, pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. All right, folks, before we step aside for a quick break, that was the legislator of Nassau County and Harvard graduate Joshua Lafazan. You're listening to Review and Preview here on WCWPSports.org. Welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I am your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Kyle Russo and Mark Sanger. Man, Kyle, Josh was incredible. Yeah, Tom, he's, he sounded like he's been doing this for years. I mean, uh, this is a guy that loves to talk sports, and, and you could really see it, all the emotion he puts into the love for his teams edge. like the Knicks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, man, he was awesome. Yeah, he really we gotta was. we got to have him back sometime. Yep. Um, for those of you folks that are just tuning in or missed that last segment, we had a special guest on the show for the first segment, Josh Lafazan, uh, part of the Nassau County Legislature, went to Cornell, went to Harvard. Incredible. We had a great first segment. Let's keep the foot on the gas here. Um, NBA playoffs, you know, he, Josh was talking about how incredible the Houston Rockets have been this season, what New Orleans has been able to do. Let's analyze this Pelicans Trailblazers series here for a minute. I know, I believe we both had Portland. Um, yes. Look, he, Josh is right. You know, you're talking about Anthony Davis. He's, mo- I mean, Nurkic is a little banged up now. He hasn't been able to do much. Zach Collins, Al Farouk Aminu, Ed Davis. I mean, they had Aminu on Nurkic. Aminu is a small forward. He, yeah. He's a stretch forward kind of guy. Yeah. I mean, Portland trying to go small ball against Anthony Davis and the emergence of Nikola Mirotic, the guy can't miss. Absolutely, and, and it's really scary to even see the emergence of Drew Holiday as a player, not just a shooter, but as a, uh, a two-way player. He's an excellent defender. He, he's shown me uh, in these last two games a, a part of his game that I haven't been able to see in a while or ever. Uh, he's a fantastic defender, the shooting, and like Josh said before, the combination of Rondo and Anthony Davis, it, it's like they've been doing this for years. It's fantastic. It's fun to watch. It, it's entertainment. And back to Portland, I just don't know what's wrong with this team, Tom. Yeah. I mean, Lillard is playing bad. Tough. And McCollum is playing bad. Oh, I mean, they just, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not looking good for them. No. And going 2-0, while they, I'm, I believe they played in Portland for the first two games, They did, right? yeah. So not even having home, uh, home court advantage for these next two games is going to be really difficult if they want to pull the series out. What's really been shocking to me is late in both of those games, one and two, Portland has come back in the fourth quarter. And my thing is this, their lineup is not right right now. I don't think having Evan Turner starting is a good idea. I think you need to switch it up. I think Pat Connaughton should be in the starting lineup. I know you're getting a little smaller, but he provides a spark. He's a shooter, and you're matching the types of things that New Orleans can do because, I mean, having Mo Harkless back is great. I think he should be starting, actually, at the three. Um, But, I mean, right now, Nurkic didn't play much in that second half. I mean, you gave up so much size, so and Terry Stotts looked confused on the sidelines sometimes. 
I mean, Lillard and McCollum were just not hitting in that first half at all. And when you dig yourself that deep of a hole, you got veterans like Rondo and Davis. I mean, they're not going to slow down. And Etwan Moore, very underrated guy as well. And Drew Holiday, yeah, where has this come from? 33 points. You're talking about Portland's backcourt being so underrated. New Orleans yeah. has the better backcourt so far in this series. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, not just their backcourt. I mean, every one of these guys is emerging as a player on this team. I mean, we thought this team was going to be possibly five-game series, six at the max, because of the dominance of Lillard and McCollum. And then we see this emergence of Drew Holiday as a defender and, and a better shooter percentage-wise. And then we see guys like Etwan Moore. And then we know what Anthony Davis and the veteran of Rondo is going to bring to the table. It's just crazy, crazy to watch and crazy to even see that Portland is playing this bad. Yeah. it's not. Yeah, and exactly. You're right. Um, I'm still going to stick with Portland, but it does not look promising. It does not look promising because the Pelicans – now have three home games as well. They only have to win two to move on in advance. So uh, Port Portland's in some trouble. And, you know, like you said, the three through the nine seed last week on the show, separated by three games. Yeah. Three games. I mean, yeah. that's nothing. It's all that's close. a coin flip at this point. Yeah. I mean, look at the Thunder. They were lurking around the seven seed, and they jumped to the four and got home court against Utah. Let's talk a little bit about that game last night. Paul George... Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony, the big three for OKC. No field goals from any of them in the entire fourth quarter. I just They couldn't score. I have no idea what's wrong with this team all season long. I mean, this is a team that barely made the playoffs. Uh, to think about it like this, think about if Jimmy Butler never went down. Think about how much trouble OKC would have. Think about if Paul Millsap or Gary Harris in the key moments at the end of the season didn't go down. Right. I mean— this is a team that has Carmelo Anthony, Steve Adams, Russell Westbrook, and Paul George as the starting lineup, and yeah. you almost didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. I think uh, the chemistry too, and you got yeah. a lot of got a lot of guys that want the ball yeah. on that team. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, that could be a scary thing, a very scary thing, considering you're playing basically in hopes that Paul George returns to the Thunder next season, yeah. and if you absolutely. lose first round to not to take anything away from Donovan Mitchell, but to a rookie, he's gone. I know. Yeah. He's gone. That's you know that's a scary sign. Uh, but can the Jazz surprise the Thunder? Now the series goes over to Utah. The series is tied at one. If I'm Utah, you all you had to do was win one game yeah. in OKC. Now you're bringing it back home. Like we were talking about with Josh last segment, Donovan Mitchell has been superb. He's been, quite frankly, flawless in this series. Yep. Gobert favors back healthy. Joe Ingles, uh, Yurebko off the bench. Yep. This is a deep team. Yeah. This really is a deep team. Very deep team. Absolutely. And just like you said, Tom, all they needed to do was get one game in OKC. And uh, I think when we made our picks last week, uh, when Tommy was on the show, I think I actually picked Utah to win it. I'm pretty sure I did because I just don't trust OKC. Their inconsistencies are too much yeah. to survive against a team like this. I agree with that. And it's, it's, it's crazy to say when you look at the. If you're a fan of basketball and you haven't watched these teams this season and you see the lineups, you wouldn't even think it's, it wouldn't even be a competition. You go, okay, see, 99 out of 100 times. Yeah. But it, it's, it's, it's crazy. Absolutely. It really is. Um, now, Utah beat OKC 102-95 last night. Uh, another game in the West. We talked about Houston earlier. Taking care of business against Minnesota, 102-82. You know, I've got to say, Derek Rose – 
is he looks awful. Yeah. Abs- I mean, this guy was a former MVP. Yeah. I mean, I understand he's coming off the bench now on this deep Timberwolves team, but not just him. Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, I mean, single-digit points yeah. in his mm-hmm. first two playoff games. I mean, I'm sorry, but step up. Yeah. I was, step up to the occasion. I was watching first take this morning, and I was watching Stephen A. Smith, and he, he's here calling Carl Anthony Towns soft. And right now he's playing soft. He's playing against Clint Capella. He's playing against should, Clint Capella. Shouldn't and he, he have a clear advantage there? He can't even score. It, it's so... It's so ridiculous to think, especially with a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, because if you yeah. think about it, you don't. What's so great about him as a player is you don't have to be in the paint all the time. He's a very versatile player who right. could shoot the three. He could shoot from twenty feet out, and all you see is him sticking in the paint the entire time. And he, it's no matchup apparently with Clint Capella because right. Clint Capella is absolutely dominating him. Twenty point blowout last night. It's ridiculous. Houston's easily on their way to round two. Yeah. The Eastern, uh, Western Conference semis. Now, the other game in the West, uh, they didn't play last night, but they played a couple nights ago. Spurs and Warriors, they'll play tonight. Um, will the Spurs get swept? Look, uh, terrible news. Popovich, Greg Popovich's wife, passed away. Uh, Aaron Popovich, uh, just 67 years old. Very sad, heartbreaking story. Um, Josh was talking about. How you know this might be it for Greg Popovich? Uh, you know I don't know how you come back from something like that, especially in the middle of a series like this. I mean, San Antonio season is long but over for me. I mean, uh, pretty sure the assistant Ettore Messina yep. will be coaching tonight. So, I mean, best of luck if you're San Antonio. Yeah, absolutely. Got to say, I am pulling for them though. I am pulling for them too, but absolutely. And and for Popovich, it it kind of gives you a real perspective of things. Yeah. Because when you think about it, it's like this isn't the same San Antonio team that you had a couple years back when they were dominating the Heat and winning right. championships with Duncan and Parker and Ginobili. This is an older team. And, you know, people are walking out the door, and I even hear rumors about Kawhi even leaving. Lack of athleticism. Yep, absolutely. And I, I, just, I don't know. If I'm Pop, I don't know if I could come back. Well, look, with all these teams going up, San Antonio's been good for so long. Yep. Do you think they're starting to go downhill that they – Next year, they might miss the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we hear rumors about Kawhi possibly being packaged. It's a fair argument. It is. And you and you could think about it like this also. What if Kawhi winds up getting traded? Right. You think Lamarcus is going to want to play yeah. on that team as a 30-plus-year-old player? He's going to want to win a championship. He's going to want to be traded away. So this is, this is a team that could be declining very, very fast. Right, and it's a win-now team. Uh, but, look, with Popovich at the helm, as long as he is – uh, I don't question San Antonio until he leaves. Yeah. Um, I think there's just too many veterans on that team where you get one stud and it all comes together. But anyway, moving over to the Eastern Conference, more bad news. Well, this happened uh, earlier this month. Kyle Korver's brother, Kirk Korver, passed away. Yeah. Um, so he's been playing with a heavy heart as well. And LeBron James and the Cavaliers – Corver's teammates and family. Strong support system for Kyle Corver. Glad to see him starting. Yeah. By the way, last night he looked good. He had 12 points. He was 4 of 8 behind the arc. He looked pretty good from, from deep, and that's that's a key guy you want if you're Cleveland because Corver's been in the playoffs just about 90% of the you know years in his career so yeah. far. He's been a lethal weapon behind the three-point line. Yeah, absolutely, and not just – not just uh, for this series, but just in general. Because if you look at this Cleveland team, Tom, they're looking like a weak team. They really are. 
I mean, LeBron James scores 46 points, and they only win by the other night by how many points? What was it, like eight points? Yeah. He scores 46 points. I'm pretty Pathetic. sure 12 rebounds. He almost had a triple-double, and they barely win the game yeah. against a team with no offense. To, uh, Victor Oladipo and Bogdanovich and Sabonis and Thaddeus Young, Miles Turner. I mean, that's ridiculous. Stevenson. You have Kevin Love, and, and, and you're barely winning these games at home. To be fair, Indiana has played very well this year. Absolutely. And Cleveland traded half their team at the deadline. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. you're expecting this team to gel just two months later and win you a championship. Yeah. I don't care if you have LeBron James. That's asking a lot. It is asking a lot. And, look, I understand Boston's banged up. Toronto's a question mark. They really haven't been too successful in previous years in the postseason. And you're looking at Cleveland, and then you're looking at Philly right above them. You're saying Cleveland should ha- shouldn't really have a problem advancing, but right now, I mean, they're lucky they get by Indiana. I mean, a three-point win last night. They were the third game that was played last night. They beat them 197. Cleveland was up 22 to four. Yeah, LeBron had pretty sure he had the first 16 points of the game. Yeah, 20 in the first quarter, mm-hmm. 46 points on the night. By yeah. the way, LeBron James had half their points. Yeah, that's saying something. It's it's crazy the words that it's are about not to come out. Something good. It's crazy the words that are about to come out of my mouth. But having LeBron James is a problem because when you have LeBron James on your team, your expectations are so high. Just like you said, Tom, this team traded half its team away. But why are they still favorites to be in the finals? Because of LeBron James, and we know what he's capable of. Do I think that they're going to make it this year? Based on what I've seen so far against these two games, in Indiana, I don't no. even know if they can make it out of the series in right. the first round. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I really look, don't. And I totally understand the tur uh, not the turmoil. The uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like it's been a sour time in Cleveland. It's yeah, not absolutely. like dark like a dry days. patch. Yeah, a little little yeah. dry patch. You know, the health issues off the field with Tyron Lue. I mean, great to see him back. Yeah, but I mean, if you're Cleveland, you got to get past the series and you got to get to Toronto in round two. Yeah. Um, We'll see about them. Speaking of Toronto, the Raptors, are they the odds-on favorite in the Eastern Conference? They, I mean, they're playing the Wizards, a team that a lot of people don't really think deserve to be in the playoffs. This, I mean, the injury to John Wall, but Toronto's looking pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. And DeMar DeRozan is an absolute stud. And the whole worry about Toronto for these past couple of years would be the performances of Kyle Lowry. And even though Kyle Lowry I'm pretty, in the first game wasn't so good, and even in the second game he wasn't, that good. He was good. He wasn't that good. But now you have all these veteran players on the team, and Serge Ibaka, and you have C.J. Miles. Valanchunas. Valanchunas. Uh, guys like Fred Van Vliet. I know he didn't play a lot, but he Sixth will be a Sixth man of the year key, candidate. Yep. He will be a key player down the line if Toronto moves on further down into the playoffs. Right. This team is a deep team and can be very successful if they keep on performing Miles. like this. Yep. C.J. Miles has been good. Um, yeah, I'm excited for Toronto, uh, especially... You know, you're looking like you're going to sweep the Wizards 4-0. I, I don't really think Washington has a chance to win a game at this yeah. point. Uh, even with the backcourt of Wall and Beal. Um, look, I mean, Wall had 29 points last night, but nobody else contributed. Beal had nine. Gortat couldn't score. He was barely on the floor. And then Markeith Morris and Otto Porter Jr. I'm sorry, but... They're not going to cut it against Toronto. This team, Toronto's too big. Like you said, Abaka's and Valanchunas in your front court. Yeah, that's dominant, and that's that's really tough for Gortat to handle because Markeith Morris, 
It was more of a stretch four. He's not really your typical four guy. Yeah. Um, I'm a little concerned. Um, speaking of concern, Boston Celtics coming into the series, they're hurt. The Bucks should have this. They, they're going to win in six. Boston's proved all those datters wrong. Yep. No Kyrie Irving, no Gordon Hayward. They put on a show. A lot of people forget they still have Al Horford, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, an excellent rookie. Yeah. And then Terry Rozier. He has been playing well in postseason. Absolutely. He really has. All the props to Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens. The coaching. Yeah, you have, to, you have to credit them for the success yeah. because, like we said, six games max, this should be easy for Milwaukee when you look at the rosters. Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, Eric Bledsoe, Chris Middleton, right. uh, Don Maker, Jabari Parker. Uh, these guys have been so bad, especially Bledsoe and Parker. Right. And it's crazy because not only are they losing, but they're losing badly yeah. to a team that doesn't have Kyrie Irving or Gordon Hayward, which Tough. is crazy. You know, it's just one of those situations where the Celtics are playing with who they have. Yeah. Uh you know, Jalen Brown has really stepped it up. It's just one of those things where, you know, one guy goes down, got to find somebody else to contribute. I mean, if you're Milwaukee, yes, Middleton and Antetokounmpo have been great. But a lot of these Boston players are really complimenting each other right now. Rozier had 23. The bench has been incredible. Great. The addition of Greg Monroe yeah. has really helped them out. Um, I think Boston, they have a shot still to get to the conference finals. Uh, I still think they do have a shot at that. Uh the last game we're going to talk about before we go to another break, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers lose to the Miami Heat in Game 2. Uh, remember, still no Joel Embiid, and he's doubtful for Game 3 versus the Heat, which I believe is tonight. Tonight. Yep. That's right. And the series shifts to Miami. Yep. The Heat stole Game 2. Well, shouldn't say stole Game 2, but they stole one of Philly's, one of, one of their two opening home games. Kyle, Miami... Dwayne Wade is back. The Flash. Yeah. The Flash. Uh, the veteran presence on this team, you could you could see it. As soon as he returned back to Miami, uh, just the leadership role that he has brought back to this team and the veteran experience and what players have been able to do underneath his wing. Look at the emergences of Kelly Olynyk as a player. I mean, I remember as a Heat fan looking at his contract over the summer, I'm like, why would they give Kelly Olynyk that big of a contract? And now you see his dominance, not just as a – as a shooter, but as a ball handler, too. For a seven-foot guy, the guy has handles, without a doubt. And bringing this series back to Miami, 1-1. Miami has been a very, very good home team this year. I'm pretty sure they went 26-15 and this year at home. Yeah. And and just having home court advantage will be tremendous for Miami, especially if they want to pull the series out. You have born leaders like Goran Dragic, Dwayne Wade, a guy like Olenek off the bench, and... Don't forget about James Johnson. Yeah. The guy's been around in the league for quite some time. He didn't get a lot of time in Chicago. Pretty sure he's at a, he was out of the league for a couple of years. Yep. Back with Miami. Put up 18 points in game two. I mean, he really helped them. He's an excellent defender, good rebounder. Not a bad passer either. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll get to our thoughts on tonight's game in just a minute, but I think Miami has a great shot. Uh, when we come back, we will wrap up basketball and preview the three games tonight in the opening round of the NBA playoffs. You're listening to Review and Preview here on WCWPSports.org.
All right, folks, welcome back to Review and Preview. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Kyle Russo, Mark Sanger here on the board tonight. If you're just tuning in now, well, where have you been? Uh, special guest tonight, first 20 minutes of the show, we had Josh Lafazan here, the legislator of Nassau County, representing the 18th District. Great to have him on the show. We hope to have him back. He really contributed a lot. Uh, we're very happy to have him. Now, let's preview the games tonight for the NBA playoffs, still in round one. Uh, it's the NBA playoffs, probably the longest playoffs yeah. um, out of all sports. I mean, it's they're just very long. Uh, these best-of-seven series, really, teams start to get uh, tired and fatigued after some time. But just game three tonight for the Philadelphia 76ers and the Miami Heat. The series transitions to Miami and Kyle. We actually have some breaking news. Yep. Uh, Joel Embiid will be playing Game 3 tonight. He will be wearing a mask, and he will be wearing goggles. So. And uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be difficult. I will admit that as a Heat fan, that it will be very, very difficult to play against Embiid. But this is the one thing that Miami's got to look at. This guy has no playoff experience. You don't know how he's going to play in, the go- uh, in a mask. He hasn't shot in over a month. He hasn't had physical contact. And going up against Hassan Whiteside as his first game back is not going to be easy to do. Defending the rim, shooting, driving the lane, it's going to be very difficult for him, especially. And he will not be playing in Philadelphia for these next two games. So very, very difficult. Kyle, let's predict tonight's games. The Sixers, the Heat, uh, again, the three seed and the six seed. The series is tied at one. Um, You go Miami? I'm going Miami. Yeah? Yep. You know, I thought you would. Yeah. Let's see. With Embiid back, I mean, with the way that Philadelphia ended the season, I know the uh, strength of schedule wasn't great. Yeah. But to be different here, I'm going to go Philly. Yep. Uh, I think they're going to win by a couple possessions. I think it's going to be close. Miami, they're going to have their runs and their surges in this game. Wade's going to be great. It's really going to be a great series. I think this series might come down to Game 7. Yeah, I, it really I think might. it will. It I really, really might. I really do believe that. And here's another thing also. These guys coming out of nowhere, like Bellinelli and Ilyasova giving great minutes off the bench, and Ilyasova actually starting last game, all those guys who have been key components for Games 1 and Games 2 will yeah. probably not be getting the same amount of minutes, especially now that Embiid is probably going to be requiring at least 30 minutes. Right. Yep. That game will be starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on TNT. Second game tonight, the Portland Trailblazers are traveling to New Orleans to take on the Pelicans. Uh, their first home playoff game in quite some time. Uh, well, as the franchise of the Pelicans, it's their first home playoff game. Um, that will be on NBA TV at 9 p.m. We just talked about this earlier, Kyle. Pelicans have looked really impressive. They're up 2-0 in the series. Portland's on their heels. But something tells me Portland's going to find a way tonight to come away with this game. I think Stotts is going to make some type of lineup adjustment. I think having Mo Harkless back to hopefully start tonight's game will be huge so that Turner can come off the bench, be a utility man to play some good defense down the stretch. Uh, you know, we didn't see Shabazz Napier in Game 2. Yeah. Um, he really didn't look good in Game 1, though. So, I mean, I agree with that decision. I 
I think Connaughton needs more minutes. I mean, he's clearly showing that yep. he can provide an offensive spark. See that one feed to Ed Davis in the yep. paint? Mm-hmm. Ed Davis is another guy. Portland's bench has been better than their starters in this series, and yep. that's saying something. Absolutely. And I'm going to go with the Pelicans only because of the fact that Portland has shown me nothing on how they could stop or even attempt to stop Anthony Davis. Right. They, they have shown me nothing. And, mm-hmm. and they can't defend not just Davis, but they can't defend the hookup to Davis with Rondo. They can't defend Drew Holiday, who's emerging as a scorer now, a right. really good scorer, and even a defender. Uh, they have no answers in these last couple games. You know, a lot of people forget Drew Holiday was a point guard for the Sixers yeah. for quite some time. Uh, so he has that experience, and the ball handling skills are there. Uh, the jump shot is there. I mean... You know, I just I picture Rondo making that three in the corner that really iced the game yeah. in Game Two. But something tells me Portland's going to uh, find a way tonight. The third game being played, uh, the Golden State Warriors will play the Spurs on the road. Popovich will not be on the sidelines tonight. Um, that game will start at 9.30 on TNT following the conclusion of Philly-Miami. Um, Golden State's going to blow them out. Yep, and I just – it's going to be a combination of the of the Spurs just in, as an organization, and they're playing at home too, right. just being emotionally distraught, just taken away from the game. Yeah, I, I just don't think that it's going to – it's not going to be pretty. Yeah. I really don't think so. I agree. Uh, so we agree on the Golden State. So thank God, thank goodness we have one pick that's the same. <laughs> yes. uh, Tommy Mack would be um, picking on us right now for that um, if we disagreed on every pick. Uh, okay, injuries and important guys coming back, not necessarily tonight, but for game three, you know, we talked about Embiid, but Ryan Anderson for Houston. What are your thoughts on him coming back into this lineup. We're not sure if he's going to start or come off the bench, but you got to think Mike D'Antoni has a plan for him to be effective in this series. Yeah, absolutely, and he will be effective throughout the rest of the playoffs. But like we've seen over the past two games against Minnesota, it's just that will it even matter? I mean, as long as Clint Capella is dominating Towns the way that he is, as long as Andrew Wiggins and Jimmy Butler are uh, unperforming, James Harden had 12 points the other night, and they still won by 20. I mean, it, it, at that point, I don't even know if it matters if you add Ryan Anderson to the lineup because no. Minnesota has nothing to yeah, come back absolutely. and hit back. They re- really don't. Um, with that being said, another injury to a power forward on a, on a key team, the Cleveland Cavaliers, Kevin Love. Uh, he partially tore a ligament in his left thumb the other night. Um, he will play in Game 3 on Friday night, but... Something about Kevin Love getting hurt in the playoffs. I remember the year with Kelly Olynyk. Yep. When he was on Boston, uh, Olynyk was. I just, I don't know. Love is the factor. I mean, Love needs to produce. And if Love's not going to produce, LeBron and Cleveland is in trouble. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people saying they won't even make it out of the first round, which is, quite frankly, very surprising to hear. Yep. So, I don't know what's going to happen. But Love needs to contribute. Uh, hopefully he's okay. I don't know. That, that series is really a toss-up at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
the Cavs at this point, I think, are really just playing for LeBron at this point. Because mm-hmm. if they lose first round, you got to remember, this is a guy who hasn't lost in the first round ever. Right. I don't think in his career. And he's been in the league for 15 years now. He's never lost in the first round. And every time he plays in the first round, it's usually a sweep. He doesn't, he doesn't lose in the first round. Yeah. And especially a team like the Pacers, who he's had history with, to lose to them in the first round. Yeah. And especially the way they're dominating them and fighting back the way they are. This, this could be the end of LeBron in Cleveland. Wow. Yeah. I really truly believe that because they just they just look weak. That's going out on a limb, Kyle Russo. They look weak. They, I mean, yeah, they do, but there is still time to uh, come back a little bit. Folks, we'd like to remind you all that you can call in. Our phone lines are open with your questions, thoughts, comments at our call-in number, 516-299-2030, and take part in our live show here on WCWPsports.org. We're going to switch things up a little bit tonight. We, it's seven minutes before the top of the hour. We are going to do our team of the week now, me, Kyle, and Mark will, and then we will step aside for a break and then get to baseball. So team of the week, uh, we'll start with me here. I'm going with the Los Angeles Angels, despite losing to the Red Sox last night. Uh, the Angels are off to their best start in franchise history. Um their pitching rotation has been great. Otani's impact. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's that crazy. kid's a stud. Yep. Oh my. Like, I mean, I thirteen and five record. They're the second best team in the American League right now behind Boston, who they happen to be playing. But not just him. Skaggs, yeah. Richards, their closer, Middleton, has been great. Uh ERA's been very low in the lineup. Trout, six homers already. Justin Upton's been great. Albert Pujols, Angelton Simmons tied. Pujols and Simmons both tied first on the team with 21 hits apiece. And neither of them are the best hitter in the lineup. It's Mike Trout. Yeah. But, you know, they look really good. And I think a couple of us were actually considering the Angels to be one of the, maybe the surprise teams, like, look out this season. Uh, With that being said, they are my team of the week. Uh, Mark, what's your team of the week? We'll get to you. Uh, for me, it's the Boston Red Sox. Uh, like they're playing the Angels, like you just touched on. They're fifteen and two, and they just look pure dominant out there. I know it's very early on, but um, if the Yankees keep struggling, this this race could be over soon. I know it's a it's a hot take, and the Yankees are loaded with all these players, but they're fifteen and two, and they look great. Uh, Chris Sale is obviously phenomenal. They're getting great production from Rick Porcello behind him. And the lineup is crazy. Mookie Betts looks like he's going to win MVP. Rafael Devers, a young third baseman, is playing great. Hanley Ramirez looks like he is having a career resurgence. They're really good from top to bottom of the lineup, and their pitching's been pretty good too. Kyle? I'm going to go with the New Orleans Pelicans. And just because of the pure dominance of Anthony Davis, we haven't been able, we haven't gotten the joy of seeing Anthony Davis back in the playoffs in a couple years now. And, and him back in the playoffs is, is refreshing to see. It really is just just seeing his dominance and his and what he is able to do. Seeing Drew Holiday develop as a player, seeing a sharpshooter like Meritich finally get the opportunity to play for something to win at this point. Being Chicago, while Chicago was kind of uh, breaking apart, uh, th- these guys are incredible. Having Ron, uh, Rajon Rondo kind of resurrect his career also, and, and to be up two zero on the Portland Trailblazers who. 
with the dark horses in the West, uh, the guys who were projected to win this series, and most people believed, the the guys who have Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, uh, Portland had home court advantage, and the Pelicans were able to not win not one but both games at Portland. My team of the week is the New Orleans Pelicans. I like both of your choices. Uh, the Red Sox have won nine out of their last ten, seven and one on the road. Very impressive. Really took it to the Yankees in their series. The New Orleans Pelicans, you're right. Uh, they've played really well. They're the only team with a lower seed to be up in their series right now, 2-0. Yep. Um, you know, the West was kind of a toss-up in the end, but still, I mean, your seed is your seed, and right now the sixth seed is being power. They're overpowering the, the three seed. Like, it, you know, I mean, both games have been close down the stretch, but the Pelicans are making the plays at the end, and those are what good championship teams do. Not saying the Pelicans are a championship team, but they're definitely contenders. Yeah. Um, looking how Golden State's been a little banged up, if they meet in round two, look out. It could be a dogfight. It really it could. could be. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. The rest of us are looking forward to it here in the studio. So that was our Team of the Week segment. We're going to step aside for a break. When we come back, it's baseball time. Get your mitts out. Get your bats out. We're going to talk some Mets and Yankees. You're listening to Review and Preview here on WCWPSports.org. Good evening and welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. It is the top of the hour now here on the LIU Post Campus and everywhere. <laughs> I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Kyle Russo, Mark Sanger. All right, halfway through our show, it's 6 o'clock. It's been a blockbuster episode of Review and Preview thus far. Uh, you can listen to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. Um, we actually had a special guest tonight. At the, at the beginning of our show, first 20 minutes, Josh Lafazan was here. Nassau County legislator talked some college hoops, NBA hoops with him. Uh, now that we spent an hour on basketball and our team of the week, let's get to baseball. Let's start with the Mets. So a 13-4 and start. Uh, now, I went to the game on Friday night, and Todd Frazier really broke out. Uh, before the game, actually, I bought his shirt in the shop. I'm like, this guy is going to have a coming out party tonight. And what do you know? The guy cracks two home runs, and these weren't just two words. He cracked them, yep. like deep center field. Like He was incredible. Yep. Really glad to see him. I mean, he's been, in my eyes, he's been one of the most consistent players on this team. He's a veteran, and I think part of the reason why they're winning is because of, quote-unquote, the Frazier effect. Absolutely. Which you've seen on my Snapchat, yeah. the Frazier effect. Absolutely. <laughs> Without a doubt. I mean, I saw it when he came to the Yankees last season, how in the beginning of the season we had Matt Holliday kind of as our leader, our veteran leadership, and then you saw as he got hurt in the summertime, you saw Judge and other guys having slumps, and then they traded for Frazier, and everything turned around, and they looked like the team that had a great chance of getting to the World Series, and they did. They were innings away from going to the World Series, and – for this Mets team, nothing to take any way, uh, nothing to take anything away from like their performances and anything, but Todd Frazier has been the MVP of this team. Just the leadership that he's brought to this team. How last year they had the roster, they just didn't have the leadership. It, it, it was dysfunctional, 
And now they have a guy that keeps everybody in check, and he performs at a very high level. And I was speaking to a Mets fan earlier today who was speaking negatively before the season started about Frazier and how, oh, you know, Todd Frazier is a great leader and everything, but we're paying him $17 million over the course of two years. The guy can't hit the ball. The guy's batting two ninety right now. He's been excellent for this team as a leader, as a batter, as a third baseman. Todd Frazier is the MVP of this Mets team right now. Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree. Two other things I want to touch on about Todd really quickly that are a little bit under the radar. He walks a lot. He's a phenomenal on base percentage, which is what you have to do. you got to get on base. you got to keep moving the runners. And he does a great job doing that. I believe he has 13 or 14 walks in his 13 games played. Leads the team. Leads the team in walks, exactly. And another thing, he is great at third base defensively. He has bailed out several pitchers several different times already in this young season. And it's been really nice to see as a Met fan because we haven't seen – this level of third base defense since David Wright, obviously. Right. We've been throwing like random guys out there at third who have not been giving them much production in terms of defense. So he's been a blessing so far. He has. And you brought up those fifteen walks, which just which does lead the team, which the second guy's not even close to Todd. He's getting a walk every night, quite frankly. Sometimes he's getting multiple walks and you look at him, the beginning of his career, he did not draw walks. He struck out a lot. Yeah. He really did. And, you know, whoever told you about him not getting hits, Todd Frazier has the second most hits on the team. Yeah. I mean, Estrubal Cabrera leads the team with 23 hits. He's been incredible, hitting over 340, but Todd Frazier is right behind them. Yeah. Yeah. He's been lights out, to be honest. Uh, He's hitting 291 on base percentage of 436. He's really been incredible. And talking about last night, the two-run single with the bases loaded, Huge. To tie the game when you were down four to start that nine-run rally in the eighth inning. That's a turning point for a team like the Mets. They they look back at a game like that and they say, you know, we have a leader and he could take us to a place like there where we could have a nine-run inning and get ourselves a win against the Nats, who are going to be our competitors throughout this uh, throughout this season to win the to win the division. Sure, and. To have a win like that, the way they did it and the fashion that they did it is huge. Confidence booster, develops better consistency, develops real trust in a leader like Todd Frazier. Another thing, too, since Friday night, the Mets are only 2-2. Two and two. Yeah. Uh, they were 11-1. and one. Now they're sitting here 13-4. and four. So, correction, they've lost three out of their last five. Um, yeah, so... You lost your first season series of the season to the Nationals, but the reason why we started the segment with Todd Frazier, you lost the first two games. You're on your heels. You're about to get swept at home, which what is what the Mets did to Washington down in D.C. And Todd Frazier just started that uh, nine-run rally, or he got the first hit to drive in those two runs, and then the Mets just took off from there. It led to the Juan Lagares two-run double. Lagaris has been incredible. He's he hitting over 400. Against Ryan Madsen, that double down the line, it was a phenomenal at bat by Juan. Yeah. What's crazy is he's not even a good hitter career-wise. Yeah, he's Ligaris, not. He's, he's not. His glove. He's and not, he has over a 400 like batting average, I believe, right now. He's well, playing incredible. mostly against lefties, but he's yeah, doing a really good The reason good why his numbers are so high is because Mickey Calloway uh, plugs him in in situations where he'll be successful with his bat. And he gave the Mets the lead, which was really the game-winning hit. 
Yeah. But yeah, about last night, that game, I know it's so early, it's tough to say because they already they got off such a good start, but that game last night kind of felt like a must-win game for the Mets yeah. in the sense that they lost the first two games against Washington uh, at home, and they blew the game on Monday that they were up big, and you don't want to see, like, oh, it's just the Mets again getting swept by Washington. Like, no, they put their foot down and they came back. Early on, it looked really bad. Steven Mass up the three-run home run in the first inning. But they, they just kept, like, going back, going back, going back until the eighth inning where they finally took the lead and they ran away with it. A really good win for the Mets. You're right, Mark. I'm thinking about this game last night, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, all right, these are the Mets that I've seen the first two weeks of the season. And you and I we were pre- predicting this earlier. Who would have thought 17 games in, the Mets would be 13-4, and four, sitting here with the best record in the National League, it's quite frankly. Awesome. The, uh, the resilience they've shown. It's so many times over the, these first 17 games they've been behind and they come back. And it's the resilience and the bullpen to me. Those two have just been phenomenal the whole entire season so far. Which is really surprising because this, this team is supposed to be built on its starting pitching. Yeah. You have the dream rotation. They're not producing. I mean, here and there you have a couple of good starts, but... It's not like Syndergaard's been lights out. The Grom has been up and down. Harvey has not looked great. Matz has been torched. And then Zach Wheeler has been okay. Yeah. He had one good start, one bad start. Um, I've, I've been impressed by Noah. You know, Noah's been really good for me. But the only thing with Syndergaard, I want to see him go a little further into games. He was really good against the Brewers on, the one on Sunday, but he only went five and a third, I believe. Yeah. So we got to stretch him out. We, uh, Jacob's really consistent. He's good for six or seven innings every night out. But for Syndergaard, I want to see him go in six or seven innings. I think part of that is that Callaway is not afraid to take a pitcher out when his pitch count is high. Or in the past, Terry has left him in to blow out the gas because this bullpen is strong. The first week of the season, they were they were bullpen of the week. Yep. Which, who would have ever thought the Mets bullpen of the week? And this with, uh, with Swarzak's hurt. He was their big free agent get to help the bullpen. He's not even there, and they're still producing a really high level in the pen. Swarzak's cool. hurt. Montero's hurt. Robles got optioned. He pitched three games in a row. That was a tough, because Robles was actually pitching really well. Definitely a tough conversation to have if you're Mickey Callaway. They optioned Robles. Did he deserve to go down? No. but Probably not, no. But um, They brought up that guy, Bautista, I believe. Yeah. He was the hard thrower they got in the ISM yeah. trade last summer. It's tough with Robles because I always feel like when he comes up, like he shows really good flashes, and then he kind of reverts back to Hansel Robles and lets up home run after home run. Right. But uh, it was a heavy workload for him. I feel like he was in a lot of games, like several games in a row, and uh, I don't know, he'll be back. I'm not, yeah. too, not too worried about it. Uh, definitely a good thing for the Mets, and the one thing that has been a sign of concern is the injuries. Uh, Darno was getting Tommy John. Kevin Plawecki out for another two to three weeks at least. Um and your catchers right now are Tomas Nito and Jose Lobatone. Quite frankly, I don't know if that's going to cut it. Uh, no, probably not. Uh, I think you just want defense from them at this point. You want them to bat eight, play good defense, throw some runners out. Mm-hmm. Even then, they seem to be having a hard time with uh, throwing runners out. Because the Mets get run on a lot, and it's definitely a problem. It's a concern. Yeah, now, absolutely. With one of the... Big free agency concerns with the Mets was at the catcher position, and now you see guys like Darno and Plawecki go yeah. down. This I don't think it will affect them now, but if they are true contenders and playoff and will be a playoff team, they're going to need a catcher that not only could defend, but they can also hit. Because it was rumored that they like Real Mute, the catcher for the Marlins. Really? Yeah. yeah. And not only is he a good defender, but the guy can hit. 
He's a very good hitter. You would know what he did to the Yankees the other night. We'll, we'll talk about that, that in a couple minutes. But my thing is this. My, my question to both of you yep. is this. Is it time to move on from Travis Darno? My answer to that question, it's been time to move on from Travis Darno. I think Travis has gotten more than a fair crack behind the plate. What has it been, three, four years now? At least, he, he's yeah. been the primary catcher that the Mets told him, listen, you're the guy, go go do it. And he always has some type of injury concern. He always has some type of problem. He's, he can never throw guys out. It's always been an issue for him. Mark, he lasted four games this season. I know, I know. But this is a torn UC, This is a whole different thing. It's usually like a like a random thing like with his elbow or something. Yeah. Well, now it is his elbow towards UCL. Look, and the guy is 29. He's not young anymore. Yeah, yeah he's, you not, know? he's not a prospect. He's not that young kid who's going to come up. He's uh, the future of baseball at the catcher position. He's, he's not. He's a veteran now, and he needs to realize that. And he's fragile. Definitely. Yeah. Very fragile. And do I think it's time to move on from him? Absolutely. Do I think the Mets will? Probably not. Because it seems like they really don't care or care to address the catcher position. I feel like, and especially the way he went down, they will probably give him another chance next season. I think with the start the Mets had, they have to address the catcher position. Not maybe not now, like you said. I don't think it's going to hurt them right now. Exactly, the summer deadline. I don't know. Real Muto is great. I don't know if the Mets could get him away from Miami in the sense that several teams were calling the Marlins about him over the offseason, they couldn't get a deal done. And remember, this is a team that sold off everyone, and they wouldn't trade him. So obviously the asking price is very high. Right. And the Mets don't have a very, very deep farm system. They have some guys that are in the lower levels on their way up, but uh, it might take a Med Rosario, the starting shortstop, to get him, which I might make that trade, but I don't know if Sandy Alderson would make that trade. We're talking about Rael Muto. He made his season debut the other night against the Yanks. Two for four, home run, four RBIs. Rail, Rail Muto was not talking nice about the Yankees after that game. Uh, and I think Rail Muto kind of wants to be traded. Yes. I think he yeah. wants to be on a contending team. And the Mets have made it clear to the Marlins, and the Marlins have made it clear to the Mets. They're in talks about this. The Marlins are trying to rebuild. And I don't really think keeping Rail Muto long-term is rebuilding. No. no. Because the guy is 26, 27 years old. He's entering the prime of his career soon. And this is a guy that the Mets could really use. We talk about moving on from Travis Darno. If you platoon Rail Muto, not platoon, but you're, you know what I mean, having Rail Muto and Ploiecki as your two catchers. Yeah. Well, Kevin Ploiecki is great. Can he start you 162 games? No. But is he a guy that you can rely on in key, situ- in key situations? He's starting to become that guy behind the plate. Yeah, we definitely hope that Ploiecki can evolve and keep growing as a player and become that guy. Another guy that I was thinking about who's uh, much of a, like, a lesser name would be Wilson Ramos on Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's already ran out. Like, they're already done. Former and, uh, national. Former national, exactly. He's already had great success in the National League East. I think he's a guy that uh, wouldn't cost you much to go out and get, and Mm-mm. he's showing that he's an MLB quality catcher, and he could bat seven or eight in the lineup and just produce a little bit. Um, yeah, Wilson Ramos, he's 30 years old. He's from Venezuela. He's been in the league since 2010. He was an all-star back in 2016, actually. He's also a silver slugger that year. He's got 94 career home runs. I mean, a 267 career batting average for a catcher. That's really nice. That's good. Good defense. I would take him in a heartbeat, and I think it would be much less of an asking price on a guy like him who's probably yeah. a free agent in a year or two as opposed to Real Muto, who's a up-and-coming player in this league. Agreed. Kyle, uh, my one thing is this. Back to the game. Uh, from last night for a minute. Is Cespedes starting to come alive? Is he starting to break out of his slump? Now, 
he hasn't gotten many hits, but the hits that he's getting are big ones. Uh, and the grand slam last night off of Ryan Madsen, who gave up six runs, the blown save. Is Cespedes back on track? I don't know if he's back on track, but a play like that, a grand slam, and a key moment against a divisional rival like that, that should build his confidence tremendously. Yeah. And he should get back to hitting the way that he was a couple years back. But got to see consistency first. That's what we have to see. If he could do this, not grand slam, but if he could hit around maybe like a 270, 260s, high 260s, the Mets will be okay. Yeah. I think it's definitely a, a plan and approach situation with Yoana Cespedes. I think, and what I, what, I, what I mean by that is he's hitting two in the lineup right now. I think if he starts hitting, like, really well again, you know, do you put Cabrera as the two guy, you know, uh, have Cespedes hit third? Um, maybe something like that will get him going. Or um, kind of like what the Yanks are doing with Stanton tonight. Stanton will be hitting fourth, not third. Give him a little more pr- protection. I mean, it, it, it's kind of an odd variation here to kind of compare Cespedes to Stanton. But, I mean, maybe something to just get Yo going. Because, I mean, the neon sleeve can only do him so much. Yeah, I'm not really worried about Cespedes in terms of performance. I never worry about his performance. It's just health with him. Mm-hmm. It's obviously he's off to a slow start, but uh, he's got like five home runs. He's driving the ball well. He's getting the big hit, like you said. He's striking out a lot, but I feel like as he gets comfortable, as the weather gets warmer, he'll be fine. As long as he can stay healthy, that's all I worry about with Cespedes. Now, tonight, Matt Harvey and the Mets go down to Atlanta to open up their 10-game road trip against the Atlanta Braves, who have been very impressive. Yeah. Uh, they've been very impressive. What's in store in this series for the Mets? Well, I think they're going to win the series. I don't know if they'll get the sweep, but I think they'll they'll likely win three out of four of these games. Uh, they've been very good on the road so far, so it'll be interesting to see. My question is, look, we're going to find out a lot about Matt Harvey tonight. He's on the road. He's opening a series against a surprisingly good baseball team that has Freddie Freeman ba- bra- uh, excuse me, back in their lineup. Yep. This is this could honestly be a make or break game for Matt Harvey because you look at Jason Vargas who's getting healthier now. Steven Matz is pitching okay. Will is pitching good. The only one that's pitching bad is Harvey. Right. And I and you signed this guy in Vargas to a nice contract. So Matt Harvey you could potentially see go down to bring Jason Vargas up. Yeah. So this is this is a make or break series for him. When we come back uh, that will wrap up the match. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the New York Yankees, an 8-8 eight and eight start, uh, very underachieving so far. We'll discuss them when we return from the break. You're listening to Review and Preview here on WCWPSports.org. Welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I am your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Mark Sanger, Kyle Russo. Our phone lines are still open, so feel free to call in. 516-299-2030 is our call-in number. If you're just tuning in now, we actually started our show tonight. Special guest here, Josh Lafazan, was here, Nassau County legislator, youngest elected official in the history of New York. We talked a lot of basketball with him, and now we're at baseball. We just finished the Mets. Let's dive into the Yanks. Um, Kyle, you're the Yankees fan in the room. This team, uh, they were primed as World Series contenders at the beginning of the season very early, but um, 
sluggish start for a couple of guys in their lineup, and you know they really didn't look good the other night. They were off yesterday on Tuesday. They got smashed by the Marlins nine to one. Just not a good game at all for the Yankees. Yeah, and uh, with the Yankees, I had I read something on Twitter a couple of days ago about Stan regarding his kind of sluggish start, and it was pretty interesting. It said, and I quote, how could we have expected Stanton to do well immediately? He's performing in opposite of what he has done in the past couple years with Miami. He's not playing in hot weather. He's playing in an outdoor stadium. He's playing in an environment when you're expected to win. And he's playing in New York. Uh how could you expect him to start off immediately and and play like he played last season? And not just that, but he's in a totally different conference now. He's playing against pitchers he's never even faced before. This is not the National League anymore. Yeah, this is not the National League. and It's not even a division where you have a chance, a very good chance to win. Because when he was with the Marlins, they were always dominated by the Mets and the Nationals. Now you're the Yankees. And the Yankees, uh, innings away from going to the World Series last year, favorites to win the division this year, Right, off to a terrible, terrible start. Yeah, and you know, it's just one of those things that there's a lot of baseball left in the season. Uh, what's Aaron Boone, new manager, a lot of new guys on this team trying to figure out who works well with who. Uh, Boone is moving Stanton down in the lineup tonight. Uh, he'll be hitting fourth behind Didi, who will move up to three. I mean... Judge and Didi have been great. Talk about their impact so far. I mean, Judge, a lot of people, we thought that Judge may be in his sophomore slump. Gregorius has been spectacular, and Judge has proved a lot of those doubters wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And all the credit to them because they're the reason why the Yankees are even at 8-8 right now because the pitching has been terrible. The inconsistencies of Brett Gardner as a leadoff hitter, uh, Giancarlo Stanton, who was – the guy who's going to take the, the Yankees to the next step very early in the season, but has been very bad so far. I'm pretty sure he's 3 of 35 this season right now. And and even Sanchez. I mean, there was people arguing that Sanchez was their best, most consistent hitter on this team. And he's absolutely been terrible. Not, not just even at batting-wise. He's been terrible as a catcher. I can't even tell you how many times last night I saw pitches getting away from him. Yeah, It's ridiculous. You know, Mark, I'm going to get to you here. The Yankees have been really struggling, but I have a little bit different question, off-topic question for you here. Is the season too long? I don't believe so, no. Are you getting to the uh, Anthony Rizzo comments? Yeah. Is that... So I saw what he said. He said he would take, he would gladly take a pay cut to shorten the MLB season. Um I get where they're coming from right now in the sense that there's been terrible weather, which I think is a big problem for baseball in the sense that they probably need to look more in-depth when they're making the schedule. Because there's several times already I've seen where a team's playing in Chicago where it's snowing, but they're playing the Rays or something who have a dome in Tampa. So why are they playing in Chicago in April when they could – I don't know. There's obviously a lot of science and math behind making the schedule. But I think that's why Rizzo's unhappy right now because he's already had several games snowed out. But I don't think the season's too long. Right. No, it's a fair point. Um, no, I figured I'd just ask because some people yeah. do have that opinion, especially from a baseball player's perspective, you know, going out there, playing every day. 
uh, Aaron Judge, he and Didi have really been the only two hot players in this lineup. Aaron Judge, the uh, fastest player to reach 60 home runs ever in his career. It took him just 197 games. Do either of you know who the fastest was before Judge? It was Mark McGuire. Yep. Mark How McGuire. many games did it take McGuire? 205, I believe. 202. 202. So Judge did it in five less games. Incredible. Yep. Really impressive. Yeah. And he did it clean. He did. As, as uh, Mark McGuire was caught on steroids. So. <laughs> That's a really uh, really nice accomplishment for Aaron Judge. He's definitely proving the doubters wrong on him that yeah. last season was not a fluke early on. He's looked really impressive. He has sure looked good. Um, but where is everybody else besides Judge and Didi? Where are these other guys? I mean, Sanchez has been hot at times. Stanton's been struggling. First base has really been an issue. I mean, there's no Greg Bird. Drury's been hurt. Um, I mean, Hicks is back, right? But first base right now, Neil Walker's not cutting it. Tyler Austin, I don't know. They just signed Adam Lynn to a minor year deal. Yeah. Signed him back. Again. They brought yeah. him back in, yeah. That's right. I know that, like, they have a lot of players hurt right now and performing, but uh, after you get past their big three, you look at the bottom and you see Aaron Hicks, Neil Walker, Andrew Hall. You see, you see these guys, and it's like, this isn't the murderer's row lineup we thought we were going to see. I know it's early on, obviously. There's a lot of guys that are out, but I don't know. It's a concern for me. Yeah. Most certainly a concern. Um, do you think Lind can get called up at any point if these struggles potentially continue to derail this team? I think he should probably be up right now. He played really well for Washington last season, and yeah. Neil Walker looks really lost at the plate, and I don't think he's playing a great first base either. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Adam Lynn is a guy in his career. He's hit over 200 home runs, and he's a good defender and can play first base very well. He played very well for them in the, uh, in the spring. Uh, this is a guy that should be brought up right now because everybody who they plugged into first base is not cutting it, and I can't. It, it, it's bad. They're they're missing they're missing catches. Yeah. And they're letting up runs. I mean, to lose to Miami nine to one. Yeah. You know what kind of confidence it's embarrassing. This is a team that's publicly Awful. tanking. And you lose to them by a ton. Oh, Tanaka got blown up, man. Seven yeah. runs in the loss. And Tommy Mack was saying Tanaka's one pitch away from throwing his arm off. He is. He really is. Quite frankly. It's a time bomb on Tommy Mack is right. He is. It's a ticking <laughs> it's, time bomb. As UCLA is any day now. It really is. And yeah. you could see it. I mean, he can't – I mean, this should have been a, a, a dub in the win column for, for, for Tanaka. This should have been – Right, yeah. You know, pitch six innings. We'll go His, to the relievers. Yeah. The hitting will take care of itself. His last two outings have just been awful. awful. They've been bad. I mean, the Very one against bad. David Price when they were playing the Red Sox was bad, too. That was tough to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, quite frankly – the Yankees are sitting there at 8-8 eight and eight, despite all their troubles. They're at 503rd in the American League East. Um, look, we talked about Lind calling up. Clyber Torres has been tearing it up in the minor leagues. Does he get the nod of the cap soon? I think he does, but I don't think immediately, like everybody is saying, like right. the Yankees are struggling. Let's get some spark back into the lineup again. Uh, sure. I think that it could take at least till June. It could. I don't think that he's going to be this immediate call-up as of now because I honestly don't think that's the problem mm-hmm. at second base. Uh, you, you know what D.D. brings to the table, right. and Neil Walker is a plug-in for second base right now. It's working. The problem mm-hmm. is the pitching. 
and that yeah. was one of the problems that Cashman didn't address, and that was one of the reasons weeks ago before the season even started, I said, I'm not going to pick the Yankees to win the division only because they did nothing with the pitching. Uh, you, you can't come out with the same stuff and expect to win, especially right. with a guy like Tanaka, who just like you said, Tom, he's one outing away from tearing his UCL and done. You, you have yeah. to have somebody else in there. And it's extremely alarming because now Tommy Canley on the 10-day DL, right shoulder tendonitis, which um, forces the Yankees to call up, recall Luis Sessa, who was in discussion for that fifth spot if somebody went down. Kyle, I mean, talking about this rotation, these no-name guys, they're yeah. just coming out of nowhere. Yeah. Well, even him, Luis Sessa, he was brought up, I'm pretty sure, I don't think he was last uh, – the second Miami game, I think it was the first one. Yeah, he really was. He was just okay in that game. Yeah, I mean this. It's crazy how the Yankees kind of set the tone with, if you want to win, you got to have a fantastic relieving core, and they did going into the season. That 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 was one of their strong suits, and now you see it's kind of their weakness. Right, how nobody's performing. I can't name one guy that on a consistent basis you could say I believe in that guy. That guy's going to close the game out for me. Now, to close out the Yankees here, guys, they open up against the Blue Jays tonight. Uh, weekend series. Toronto's 12-5. and five. Yep, They're one of the best teams in the American League. Now, if you remember, the Yankees started off the year against Toronto, took two out of th- uh, they split the series two to two, actually. The good news is that Sabathia is back. You know, talking about the Yankees pitching, Sabathia is back. He will start tonight against Aaron Sanchez for the Blue Jays, who hasn't, who hasn't looked bad. No, definitely not. And another uh, nice thing for the Yankees this series at home, uh, Josh Dallas is on the disabled list for the Blue Jays, so that's their best hitter who's not there. I think this is a must, uh, must-win must series for them. I mean, they have to win yeah. three out of four. I know Toronto's off to a really good start, but they've had a really easy schedule early on. They've played uh, the White Sox, the Orioles, a lot of not great teams. So, um, yeah, I think uh, they have to win three out of four here. Yeah, and uh, right. not just get wins now, but the Yankees are behind the Red Sox right now, six and a half games. And I know it's early in the season, but this Red Sox team is a team that doesn't look like they're about to slow down anytime soon. They have to consistently start winning games. they got to figure out their pitching, relieving and starting. They have to figure out defense at first base and even catching. They have to. Stanton has to find himself. He has to find himself. That's yeah. really the major key. I think that'll rejuvenate this lineup if he's able to find himself. And yeah, they 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 just got to start now because six and a half games. I know it's the beginning of the season, but that's a ton, especially to a team like the Red Sox. And it's not like the Yankees are behind them; they're behind Toronto too, who yeah. was looking like a team that really wasn't going to be as dominant as we see them. Troublesome, to be. troublesome stuff. Uh, yep. With that being said, we'll wrap up the Yankees when we come back. We'll briefly recap other news around the major leagues, and we will preview next week's NFL draft and talk about the moves going on in the NFL. Up-to-date stuff. You're listening to Review and Preview here on WCWPSports.org. Welcome back, folks. Good evening. This is Review and Preview. I am your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Kyle Russo, Mark Sanger, running the board. 
great show tonight. Uh, catch you up to speed. We are now discussing some major league news. And to start things off here, the Cincinnati Reds have fired their manager, Brian Price, after a sluggish, disappointing 3-15 and start. Their pitching coach was fired as well, which leaves bench coach Jim Riggleman as the interim manager. Mark? Now, um, obviously, 3-15 and is abysmal. It's terrible. But what did they expect when you look at the Cincinnati Reds roster? They're throwing out Sal Romano, Homer Bailey, Tyler Molly, guys you've never heard of in their rotation every day. How did you expect you were going to win games? And how could you blame the manager when you don't put a team on the field that he's capable of winning with? And you look at the lineup, it's Vado and no one else. So for me, I didn't think that was very fair to fire the manager. I think the GM has to take a long look in the mirror and see what he's doing. Right. Um, is there, Kyle, is there something that has surprised you about that division itself, the NL Central? Not really. It really hasn't. I mean, the biggest surprise is probably, is probably the Cubs. Pirates. Pirates. The Pirates have been the biggest really surprise. Well. But even Cincinnati. I mean, we, we see they don't have the greatest lineup, but even last season they were playing well. I mean, granted, Votto was having an MVP, uh, MVP candidate season, but they were still going out there night in and night out, and they were still capable of winning games. And 3-15 and and is just unacceptable. I mean, we have a team like the Miami Marlins in the MLB who has publicly said they are trying to lose games and they have a better record than you. And that's just embarrassing. Wow. Talk about surprises. Jed Lowry. Yeah. Let's talk about him for a minute. Leads the major leagues, 21 RBIs for the Athletics, who have not looked bad. No, it's been really impressive. Um, they can really hit. Uh, the question with the A's is the pitching. They have uh, guys like Chris Davis, Matt Olson, Matt Chapman's having a great year. But yeah, Jed Lowry's been otherworldly. He's 34. Um, yeah. He might get traded this, uh, this summer if he keeps this up and Oakland falls out of contention. I can see him getting traded to a contender. Their division's very competitive, though. You have the Angels, you have the Astros, uh, and the Mariners as well have surprised people. But the Athletics, 9-10, and 10, uh, they've won 6 out of their last 10, unlike the Yankees, who have lost 6 out of their last 10, pun intended there. Um, now, with that being said, you know, they're, and like Mark just mentioned, their pitching rotation isn't bad. Their lineup's not bad. You know, talk about a guy like Matt Chapman. Not a lot of people know who he is, but he's producing. It's more about the production than the popularity. Uh, you know, you're getting these labels like Gian- Giancarlo Stanton. The pressure's on you to produce. There's no pressure on the athletics. There really isn't. They're not expected to do what they're doing right now. Uh, granted, they have an above 500 record at home. Um, they may do a thing or two this year or a couple of years down the line. So I'm looking forward to that. The game last night down in Puerto Rico, 14th inning, Encarnacion, a home run for Cleveland, and then Sano for the Twins, Sano, ties it. Right back at him. Right back at him. What a game. No, it was a lot of fun to watch. I was watching most of it. I was flipping back and forth with them and the Mets, and uh, Jose Barrios, Puerto Rican native, started the game there for Minnesota, and he was phenomenal. He, uh, he matched Carlos Carrasco on Cleveland pitch for pitch. It was a really fun game. Um, like you said, it went uh, 15, I believe. They went, the Twins 16. Won, 16. The Twins eventually won that game. 2-1. to one. Yeah, it was a really fun game. Um, Kyle, another thing here that's really been surprising 
is um, Jose Bautista to the Atlanta Braves on that minor league deal. I, I, I view it as surprising because of how great he was with Toronto, all those home runs he hit, and the third baseman gets signed to Atlanta for a minor league deal. I think this is very temporary. I think he's coming up. Yeah, I think actually I think he might be coming up tonight, I believe. Potentially. I think he might actually he's gonna start off in the minors and work out at third base a little bit. But the only reason why he didn't get another MLB contract was because he batted like below two hundred. I think he finished off the season it was last like season. Two oh two, just above. Really really he poor. Was, he was right. awful. He's still still could be a good fielder. Uh, still a great hitter. Uh yeah. still a great home run hitter. But you gotta have consistency at the batting average and especially like it seemed like the Braves who we were talking about, who actually have a pretty good record this season, who aren't just the Braves that we all know who are the team that really can't perform. Uh, so now they bring in a vet like Jose Batista, hopefully bring some veteran leadership to the team, to to a team that's already doing pretty good to start of the season. Right. This is a no-risk move, really, for the Braves here. Uh, they had Ryan Flaherty starting at third base, more of a utility guy, not much power in that bat. Uh, so, yeah, they gave uh, Jose Batista a shot. They said, hey, let's see what you got. I don't think it's going to work out. I mean, he hit 200 last year. He played poor defense in right field. They're going to try to play him at third now. I mean, he's 37 now. And uh, along his career, his walks and his on-base percentage have always been really good. And last year it was down. His strikeouts were up. I, I think he's declining fast. Yeah, definitely something to look out for moving forward. Um, a couple of injuries uh, in terms of pitching. You know, we talked about the Yanks and the Mets, their injury bugs, but the Dodgers lose Rich Hill headed to the DL. Inflammation of the middle finger, uh, not good, obviously. Hopefully this is a short-term thing for them. Um, you know, he's one of their top guys right now after Kershaw, and Justin Turner's on the DL still until May. He's a few weeks away from returning. He's just starting to hold the bat again. And to lose a guy like Rich Hill, I mean, yeah, you know, L.A.'s playing a little better now. Uh, they're inching closer towards that 500 mark. But uh, definitely concerning, you know, Rich Hill, a veteran, um, big loss if you're L.A. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be tough. They're going to have to call some guys up, try to fill in these innings that they're losing with Hill. Um, he's one of their big guys, definitely. And I think right now it's just put him on the DL, let him get right, and uh, make sure he's ready for the stretch because they're going to need him. Now, before our last break of the evening, let's just preview some of the games happening tonight. A few of the key games, the Houston Astros, the Seattle Mariners playing today as well pretty sure they're playing now uh currently in progress and the score of that game in the bottom of the ninth inning the astros lead nine to two so they are on the verge of winning that game blue jays and yankees just started pirates and phillies starting at 705 red sox at the angels tonight best two teams in the american league going at it uh excited for that game um watch angels shohei otani tonight against the red sox uh, uh, the Red, but the Red Sox are um, looking to win their seventh straight. So let's see if Otani and the Angels can stop then. And of course, the Mets and the Braves starting their series tonight. Happy Harvey Day! Yeah, it is Harvey Day. It is Thursday. And on that note, we're going to step aside for one final break of the evening. When we come back, we are going to preview next week's much-anticipated NFL draft. You're listening to Review and Preview here on WCWPSports.org.
On that note, welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I am Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Kyle Russo to my left, Mark Sanger to my right behind the board. Uh, yes, we did get Facebook Live back up and running. So if you'd like to watch us again, you can see us, or kind of, as we have a setup over there. Uh, different spot now in the studio. Phone lines are now closed. Uh, next week, call in, guys, with your questions, 516-299-2030. We'd love to have you. Like we had Josh in person tonight. Uh, no Tommy the Mac McNamara tonight, but we're getting through. We're having a fun time here in the studio. All right. Eight segments down, one to go. The NFL draft is one week away. Uh, I'd love to get an hour count, but uh, we're just about one day, one hour, one week, one hour, 15 minutes away from the start of the 2018 NFL draft, which will start at 8 p.m. next Thursday. And Kyle... The Giants pick second, the Jets pick third. I'm stoked. I am stoked. I am getting home right after the show next week, getting ready on my couch. Where's your popcorn? Where's your beer? Get started. Oh, man, I cannot wait. This is going to be one for the ages. Absolutely. And, you know, you go through an entire depressing season watching both these New York teams, the Giants and the Jets, and it all goes away because when you have a top pick like this, when they talk about – franchise changing players faces a franchise uh that these players bring to the table it makes you all forget about that when you see guys like barkley and chubb and quentin nelson these guys could be a part of your team for the future it's a very exciting thing to watch and as a Mm -hmm. giants fan i cannot wait to see who the giants take at number two the draft will be at AT at&t stadium in arlington texas and uh quite frankly this quarterback shuffle thing, honestly, it's going to come down to the second yeah. on draft day. Yeah. The question is, will the Giants trade down? I mean, I don't think they're going to. I don't, I don't see a reason why. Um, there was a Dave Gettleman pre-draft conference today. Um, so we'll see if that alludes to anything. But more important news right now, current news for the Giants. Brandon Marshall has been released. I'm actually a fan of this move. It yep. frees up money. You know, the guy got hurt last year. He didn't produce at all. He had, what, two to three catches the entire season. Did nothing. Couldn't stay on the field. Um, you know, you have Odell Beckham. You have Sterling Shepard. Two young receivers. Not that Marshall was a distraction, but I think this can set the Giants up for something bigger and something better moving forward into next season. Uh yeah, you, you you know what I'm yeah. trying not yeah. to say next, right? Yeah. I'll actually have you bring it up. Obviously, Tom is alluding to the recent rumors saying that Des Bryant would love to stay in the <laughs> NFC East and that his team that he favors would be to play for the New York Football Giants. And honestly, would I like to see it happen? Kind of. Just as a fan, just to see all those receivers, the talent that's brought to the table, especially when you think about it like, and then you add possibly Barkley into the equation, drafting him at number two. Spotted wearing a Giants hoodie. Very, very, very exciting to Making see. Making it publicly known he wants to be a Giant. Yeah. But I don't. I honestly don't believe that uh, Gettleman is going to sign Dez. And I believe that the failed physical, I hand quote right now, was based on what uh, Marshall had said yesterday on Instagram. Uh, regarding Dez's comments about possibly coming to the Giants, he said, uh, sorry, little bro, no room on the team. And I don't believe that Dave Gettleman, as a veteran in this league, working 
in the NFL for a very long time. I don't think that he, I don't think that he likes that type of attitude. He wants to see someone who could come in and be a leader. I don't think he, he he's okay with that type of nonsense. Right. I don't think he wants to see that out of his players. And remember, Marshall had a two-year, twelve million million deal that he signed last March. That lasted just for five games before an ankle injury sabotaged his 2017 campaign. Yeah. Um, you know, his play really fell off the cliff back in 2016, which led to his release with the Jets. But and those handful of games he played with Eli last year, I mean, butterfingers. Yeah, you know, he he caught just 18 passes, 154 yards. Uh, He's nearly three years removed now from his last quality season, uh, which was with the Jets. He's now 34. Uh, I don't really see much value in Brandon Marshall moving forward unless you maybe use him as a number three or a number four guy on a uh, competitive team. Um, Will Dez go to the Giants? I don't think so. Uh, I don't know if Gettleman wants any more conflict, I think Odell is enough. Yep. Um, I think Odell is enough of a, of a distraction to have on this team. I think adding to that with Des Bryant would be a huge mistake on the Giants' part. Because if you remember last year, I had the debate with Tommy Mack between Brandon Marshall and Red Ellison. Who was a better signing? Tommy Mack said Brandon Marshall. I said Red Ellison. Clearly, at this point, we know who the better signing was for the yeah, Giants. But, absolutely. Because um, one of them is on the team still. One of them is not. But, um, yeah, I really didn't see a point in keeping Marshall. It was kind of alluded to by Dan Schneier, one of the expert analysts with the Giants, uh, that Marshall would go, Harris would go, Wing would go. It's all happened. A lot of these guys are gone. It's freeing up cap room. I like it. I really do. Um, The curiosity with me as a fan, just the timing of it all, it's like why, why why release Marshall now? I mean, I know... Six-time Pro Bowler, yeah, by the I, way. I know you're not a fan of Dez and everything, but Dez, re- Dez was released a couple days ago, and now you see Marshall, who looked like he was still going to be on the team. I mean, you had kind of had that week of where Gettleman was releasing all these guys like Wing and Harris and other guys. Why release Marshall now? Right. That's, yeah. that's my curiosity That's a, a fan. fair question. Yeah. Um. Which is something you need to look out for if you're a Giants fan. Gettleman may do stuff that may surprise people, like yeah. right on the notice. Like he's not afraid to get his hands dirty, and clearly he's shown it thus far. Yeah. Does that comment have anything to do with his release? That we're not so sure about. It can, maybe, maybe not. Uh, folks, this just in, actually. Dwight Freeney has signed a one-day contract to retire with the Indianapolis Colts after 16 seasons in the NFL. So great career for Dwight Freeney. Played alongside Robert Mathis, won a Super Bowl with the Colts back yep. in 2007. Um, a great career coming to an end. Um, speaking of moves and stuff and signing guys, dropping guys, the Saints just re-signed Brandon Coleman. Yep. I like it. I like it. That's a good move for them. Uh, young guy. Uh, Gives a little more depth at the receiving position besides Michael Thomas. Right. Yeah. And he's playing with an experienced quarterback in Drew Brees. Yep. So, overall, uh, I'm looking forward to what the Saints can do this year after getting back in the postseason last year. Um, another story that's just in, Tom Brady apparently is seeking a revised contract. It's been rumored that um, family members, uh, reports by Adam Schefter saying that family members want Brady to retire. They don't want him to continue to play football. 
Uh, not with that Tom Brady mentality. Yeah. Uh, Brady's, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think I, he's coming back. I think this could be his last year. I really do. And it, it's just because of the whole downfall of the team. I mean, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, saying, like, is this finally kind of like the demise of the Patriots? Downfall. The downfall of them with losing all these big marquee free agents and we're like as long right. as they got TB12 but they've had this guy for years and years and years now discussing contracts because most of his contracts have not been long term ones they've been short term ones right. on little to no money for basically what he brings to the table Yeah. and to see something publicly like this especially at his age especially losing all, the, uh, all these pieces yeah. I really believe and now you're hearing with Belichick too Hearing how yep. he doesn't get along with players, how players like Danny Amendola is now coming out as a newly uh, Miami Dolphin, how he's saying that Gettleman is not fun to play for. Can't blame him. Yeah, and it really could be the demise of this team. Another quarterback. Uh, speaking of short-term deals, Marcus Mariota picks up his fifth year, has his fifth-year option picked up by the Tennessee Titans. Crazy, he's been in the league for five years already. Yeah, you know. Yes. Yeah. It really is. Incredible. Yep. Um, and Tennessee actually made the playoffs last year. But uh, remember one thing. Marcus Mariota, he was drafted back in 2015. He was the second overall pick. He's just 24 still. So um, he'll he'll actually be entering his fourth season, fourth season. this fourth year. Fifth year. Yep. Um, Oregon alumni. Now – Breaking news, well, this was in yesterday, a couple days ago. The Mexico City game has been confirmed. It'll be the Chiefs and the Los Angeles Rams on November 19th. Do you think the NFL could potentially be looking to get a team into Mexico City somewhere down the line? I don't think they're looking to get a team in Mexico City down the line. the game more. I think they're just trying to make the game more of like a worldwide thing. I it's mean, we've heard about possibly move. games in uh, now China. We see how. Oh my! Yeah, they're talking about that. I don't like that. I don't like it, but that's what they're discussing. That's because of, of TV ratings. I'm sorry, that's bad. I'm going to let my opinion known that, known right there. That's a bad move by the NFL to play a game in China. It's all about TV ratings. I mean, oh we've seen my. how more and more teams over the past couple of years have now started to play more in London. We saw last year the Texans play Oakland in Mexico City. Now we're seeing the Chiefs right. versus the Rams. It, uh, football is becoming a worldwide thing, and it's all due to television and, uh-huh. and televised around the world. Right. With that being said, um, more changes in the NFL. Primetime games are now moving up. The NFL announces that Monday night football games will now start at 8.15 p.m. Eastern time, and Sunday and Thursday night games will now be bumped up from 8.30 to 8.20 so, not a big five deal. ten minute difference, but something of note, something worthy bringing up here. Uh, overall, I don't really care or think too much into this. No, um, it's, it's very minimal. Yeah, it's not something substantial that we'll be talking about weeks yeah. down the line. Um, also, talking about Mexico City games, NFL announces times for the London games. I don't believe we know who will be playing in London yet. It'll probably be, I think we could definitely say the Jaguars because they seem to be the team that always plays in London Yeah, because of the connection with their owner. Well, they're a good team now, so why not have them? 
<laughs> but yeah, just like I was saying before, they're trying to get television ratings all across the world, and that's what that's what the sport is. I'm become. still I'm still shaking my head about that. You know. Yeah, I don't like it. It's an American sport. I can't sport, wrap that around that my head. Yeah, this is an American sport. Keep it that way. Yeah. If you want to expand it to London, fine. But you don't have to play that. Though. Mexico City, China? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Think. Yeah. All right. With that being said, uh, one last thing on college football here. This was announced today. Now, you're a Bama guy, I'm a Notre Dame guy. I'm excited for this. The NCAA announces that Notre Dame and Alabama will announce a series. Two teams will play against each other in 2028 and in 2029. I'm stoked. That's crazy, Tom. Last night, I looked. I looked at the. Actually, uh, in the afternoon, I looked at the script when you had sent it, and I saw it. And then I got to the end of it. I said 2028, 2029. That's crazy to think about. I'm an 18 year old here. And I'm going to be 28 by the time this happens. <laughs> I'm going to be uh, 32. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy, but very, very exciting because the two very good programs that have created very good football programs over the past couple of years, especially a team like Bama, who's been consistent. They've been teams in the championship before. You see guys like uh, teams like Notre Dame producing good players. Uh, Deshaun Kaiser, who got drafted last year, uh, McGlinchey this year, and Quentin Nelson, who everybody's calling a Hall of Famer. So this should be very exciting. Yeah. No, I'm really looking forward to it. I think that, even though it's 10 years down the line, uh, it's something to mark down on your schedule there if you're a college football fan. Uh, We have two minutes left in the show. Before we sign off, speaking of football in the NFL, we would like to inform you all that next week on Review and Preview, we will be talking football and having our official NFL draft preview. We will spend an hour on football next week. Beautiful. Um, the draft is next Thursday night, 8 p.m. Uh, really looking forward to it. Our show will be from 5 to 7. Kyle, any final thoughts before we sign off? Well, just a question, Tom. I just want to get your opinion on it. Sure. First, who do you think the Giants should take, and then who do you think the Jets should take? You know, I'm really thinking about it. I don't think uh, – the Jets should waste their pick on a uh, – I really think the Jets are going to take a quarterback. I don't think they should waste their pick on Josh Rosen. No, I don't think so either. Not at number three overall. If it's Sam Darnold, fine. But Josh Rosen, no. Uh, realistically, I think the Giants will either go Barkley or Nelson at number two. Yeah. Don't see them taking a quarterback. Uh, look, I'm going to be on the edge of my seat once the Browns get off. I mean, there's rumors that the Bills might move up and take Rosen. Yeah. You know, look, the Jets have McCown and Teddy Bridgewater. Those are two really, not really, but two solid quarterbacks to have as like a one-two combo, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, I don't really think drafting a rookie will have an effect on them this season or a couple of years down the line, as I mentioned earlier. A lot more Jake Lockers in the draft yeah. than Carson Wentz. Absolutely. Or Tom Brady's, for that matter. Um, with that being said, we will end the show on that note. Stay tuned next week. We will preview the NFL draft. We'll talk some more baseball, NBA playoff news, who will survive in advance, who will the Giants take, who will the Jets take. It's all for you right here on Review and Preview next week, 5 to 7 p.m. On behalf of Mark Sanger, Kyle Russo, and Josh Lefazan, I'm Tom Scavetta. You've been listening to Review and Preview here on WCWPSports.org.
Like what you hear? Here's how you can let us know. Give us a call at 516-299-2626 or email us at info at wcwp.org. Like us at facebook.com slash mywcwp and leave a comment or tweet us at mywcwp. We welcome all kinds of feedback. To directly support the podcast you just enjoyed, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to give back, visit WCWP.org and click the support tab. Thanks for listening from your friends at WCWP.